Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 118 with John Troutman of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. So this is episode number three of, well, it's part number three of the crowdfunding series out of number six. So we've got three out of six. And the reason we're doing this is because we are actually running a crowdfunding campaign right now. And we're producing a beautifully designed coffee table book with the best of from the greatest entrepreneurs around the world have shared all these tips and advice and we've put it all into this coffee table book. So we've been doing research, so much research, and we're live now. I'd love your support. So if you go to foundermag, F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G.com forward slash book, you can go and check out that campaign. You can go and see how it's doing. We're getting close to getting funded in almost three days. We're at uh, almost 75% of recording this. And yeah, look, it's really, really exciting times. This stuff is working, guys. So everything that you're hearing in each one of these series episodes is, it's it's gold. It's absolute gold. And John Troutman is no exception of that. Uh, the guys at Canary, um, they did an Indiegogo campaign and they got 20x their funding. So I think you're in for an absolute treat. Take notes. 
If you, I hope that this inspires you to want to do a crowdfunding campaign. Go and check out our campaign. I think you're going to love it. And if you've got any gold from any of our content, the magazine, the podcast, the blog, our newsletter, the social channels, anything at all, I'd love your support. It would help us more than you can imagine. We need to get this book into the hands of as many entrepreneurs as possible because it's going to be truly game-changing. Imagine sitting at you know, the round table with Richard Branson, Barbara Corcoran, Ariana Huffington, Damon John, Tim Ferriss, you name it. It's all compiled in this book. And if you know any of our content, you know, it's be beautifully designed. It's going to be super rock solid. We really don't hold back. We want to just build the best ever coffee table book. There's nothing out there like this right now that exists. And I also should mention that each book sold, we also donate a portion of our own revenue. And if we can get this campaign funded, we'll be able to provide over a thousand nourishing meals to kids in South Africa and people in need. So I'd love your help. I'd love your support. I cannot stress this enough. Please go to foundermag.com, F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G.com forward slash book. And now let's jump to the show. So yeah, look, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to join me and and talk to me about uh, what you guys have created with Canary. So I'm curious, what was the biggest struggle? Let's start off with the hard parts of the campaign. Yeah, I mean, there's it's always hard to sort of identify like what the what the one thing is, either the most struggling part or the or the you know most effective aspect or whatever. Um, but I'd say one thing that was difficult during the month of crowdfunding was the realization that crowdfunding had to be like the number one thing that we were all doing during that month, meaning that it took us away from any sort of product development work we were doing. And we just realized like, wow, this is like, in order for the campaign to be, you know, as big as we want it to be, we had to be all, all hands on deck and like the whole, the whole time. Although I don't know if I would say that was the biggest struggle necessarily, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely something that we sort of anticipated. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work, but we didn't necessarily realize that it was going to be so um, so time consuming. And so that was that was one thing that that kind of we experienced as we were going through the campaign. Well, you mentioned um, around how you guys had to focus take your take your focus away from product. Can you tell us a little bit about how big your team is, which would be interesting? Yeah, well, we don't we don't share our team numbers exactly like um, publicly. Oh, okay, um, yep. But we definitely our team, and one of the reasons for that is because if I told you how big our team is right now, it would be different by the time this was published, even just because we're growing so fast. Oh, um, okay. But our our team, you know, the the size that we were a year ago was very like when we launched our campaign, there was six of us that were you know like full time working on the product as part of the company. And then we were at that point, we were working mainly with like consultants and contractors, you know, prior to the campaign, we, we had a lot of people that were working, working on our project that were actually, um, uh, we'd hired just to, as, con, as on a contractual basis. Um, some of them were like shops, like we had an engineering shop based out of Boston that was helping us kind of develop the guts of the product. And then what, you know, one thing that happened since crowdfunding is we had, you know, maybe 30 people that were working on the, that were helping us with the product that weren't part of the team. And since that time, we've, um, we've been able to bring all of that work we were doing externally in-house into the team. Wow. So it's been, it's been really great. So our team has, you know, grown like 10 X what it was when we did, when we did crowdfunding. 
Wow. And how many people were roughly working on the campaign? It was just the, it was six of us that were, that launched it were the ones really working on it. I would say probably the four that were most involved were myself and Adam and Chris are my co-founders. And then our iOS, our, our iOS engineer actually was, was very involved. It's funny. He actually ended up kind of doing a lot of our, almost managing our Twitter account during the campaign. And he, he actually signed up for Twitter when we <laughs> launched our campaign. So he was like brand new to Twitter, but then, you know, just, um, there was no like strategies around, around Twitter so much as just, I guess, trying to talk to the, talk to people and, and, you know, respond to them right away. And just, so it was fun because it wasn't actually like a social media team or anything doing, doing the campaign, you know, it was just us. Mm. Um, so that was, that was, that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And how long did planning take? Well, we'd been working on, if you include, you know, working on the product as planning, we've been, been, it was about a year in the making, but actually from the point that we decided, Hey, let's do crowdfunding. We, I think we're maybe a, a month or a month and a half. So we actually, it was, it was pretty quick pretty quick for us. I don't know if that's quick. I, I'm, I'd be curious to hear what others that you talk to say, but for us, we kind of, we'd been working on the product for a while. We knew we wanted to, you know, we'd, we'd raise the seed round. So we'd already brought some money in to kind of help us build, build enough of a team and engage with some contractors to, to get it started. And then, and then we decided that crowdfunding would be a great way for us to, I don't know, kind of validate the market a little bit. And, um, mm. you know, we wanted I guess when you're building a product like this, because it's so, it's so much about the user, like what we're building is so much about filling a need for people, um, that it felt weird to go too far into product development without bringing more people into the process. So that's why we really decided to do crowdfunding is because we were, we wanted to actually have the community that was going to be using this product and, and real individuals to be more engaged and involved in the product development, you know, from the beginning as much as possible. So yeah, we decided to do it. And then just because of our own product timelines and wanting to get things rolling, we we only gave ourselves about a month and a half of uh, of prep time before we before we pushed the button to make the campaign live. That actually is kind of short. A lot of quite a few people that I've spoken to so far, sometimes they take months, like, you know, six months, but it's it's kind of like working on it, you know, slowly. Right. Well, and I think some, I think, I think some of these projects that happen that that six months is like, Hey, we have this idea. Let's start putting things together to get ready, you know, to, to start working on this idea and then we'll do a crowdfunding. Whereas like we already had, we had the idea and we'd been working on it for, you know, roughly a year. And then we decided now let's start telling people about it and, and through crowdfunding. So a lot of the, the, obviously the product work we've been doing, we'd already been working on our what our brand sort of voice and and story and and um, language and style we've been working on all that before we even decided to do crowdfunding. So that's why it's a little hard to say that exactly how long was spent prepping for crowdfunding because so much of the work we'd been doing over the past year had been levered was then leveraged in our crowdfunding. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know that that makes a hundred percent sense. So, what are the key attributes for Canary? that you think made your campaign so successful or what are the key elements that allowed you or allowed the community to be really engaged with Mm. Canary? 
I think the first thing is that we were, is that the, the product itself is something that people, it was, it was filling a void that people had. So rather than just be a, rather than being something that someone, rather than being a sort of a gee whiz, oh, that, that thing looks cool. Um, it was more of a product that people saw. And we heard so many people say that immediately they, they thought like they saw and they said, oh, I, I want that. I need that, which was so, you know, so validating and, and exciting for us because we, we've been feeling that way as we were building this. We were like, knew that this was a product that we wanted and that we needed. Um, but then the immediate response from hundreds and then thousands of people was that, you know, other people felt the exact same way that, hey, we, you know, we rent or we, um, we move often. We don't have, we're not homeowners. Um, a lot of people that live in New York City and other cities like us that saw this and and it was filling the exact same need that we that it's that we built it to fill in our lives was you know home security that that works for people that you know don't have expendable amounts of income that they can just throw at signing up for long contracts and you know for traditional home security systems. So, so I think to answer your question, the first key ingredient was just that we we knew we were launching. Um, not just a project, but a product. And so we we built our campaign around around that product and around the the needs that would be filled in people's lives by you know pre-ordering or this product or backing this campaign. And I think that's a I mean, I don't know if it that comes out in my answer, but the the key difference there is I think when you're when you're doing a crowdfunding campaign, there's a lot there's so many different ways you can frame it. You can frame it as a product. Or you can frame it as an idea. You can frame it as, you know, a project. You can frame it as a team. Meaning, like some people support campaigns because they see the team that's building it, or the individuals that are building it, and they want to get in, and they like those people, and they think that they're brilliant, and they want to help them do this this goal that they have set. Other times, it's more of like a, a project, like an art project, and and um, or a video or things like this, and people get on board because they're sort of inspired by the creative pursuit. And then for other projects that are product-based, you know, it's important that the, all the storytelling around it is framed to really highlight the fact that this is, it's not for us. It's not about us. It wasn't about us wanting to go through this journey or do crowdfunding. It was really, we, we tried to frame it so that it was about them. It was about, it was about those that would support their campaign. It was about people that were going to be the users of this product. So our storytelling was very much around what the product is and then how it can fit into people's lives. And we left, we left out, you know, we didn't really tell the story around about us very much. We didn't say like what our journey was. It wasn't, we didn't focus on us. It was totally focused on the product and how it would fit into people's lives. And I think that's the, really the number one ingredient was that people saw it and then they're like, Hey, I can see right away how this would fit into my life and why it makes sense for me. And, and and therefore they wanted it right away. So what I'm hearing is, and when you were explaining that to me, it, I was just thinking about the video and, and the copy and everything you used for the landing page. And it, and it really, like that really hits a nail on the head in the sense that when I was watching your video for the first time, you really were just showcasing the problem and and how it can be solved. Yeah. Yeah, we like to, and we always kind of, I think we even have a quote in our video where we say that we like, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but the idea is that it's not about the technology. It's about the experience that the technology enables. And that was really the story that we tried to tell uh, with our campaign. We didn't go into 
too many details about the the technology or the, the you know the tech specs or the exactly the guts of of the engineering of the product because there's an audience for that and some people that's some some campaigns are backed because people are excited simply about the tech you know what i mean but but that wasn't i mean that's not what canary's about like we're we are doing amazing innovative things with technology no doubt we're on the on the hardware side we're doing incredible things by packing so many sensors and and um, capabilities into a single device on the software side we're doing uh, we're approaching computer vision and and machine learning algorithms in a way that no other company is doing so we're definitely innovating with technology and doing amazing things there but we just didn't feel and I still feel this way that that most people that doesn't that's not what resonates with them people don't care so much about the technology they just care about like you know their lives <laughs> like I care about in my life what's going to help me you know be more connected to my family what's going to help me you know get through the day and feel happier and feel safer and so when we were building our campaign we we had to kind of weigh the benefits or the pros and cons of of telling a technology focused story or telling a, a people focused story and you know the clear winner for us and for our product and for our brand is to tell a people focused story because that's really what it's all about it's about enabling people through technology and and you know filling people's everyday needs and making them safer and and uh so that was anyways that's the story we told was uh, about people and it was about you so when people watched our video there was more shots of people using our product than there was of of you know us building it and so i think people saw that and, and they can immediately kind of put themselves in the shoes of of the people in the video or of the the people or the stories we tell in the copy and they're like yeah i can see how i can see how i would use that and uh anyways that was that was our approach and <laughs> i think it made it worked for us mm, yeah no you've you've broke that down really well i'm curious when you said you had to make a decision around whether you would focus on, I guess, your ideal customer when, when you focus on the storytelling, whether people would would be interested in supporting the campaign because of the tech or because of the experience. How did you mm-hmm. diagnose that your target audience would more resonate with the story behind the problem that you guys are solving and, and the experience that you would give them? Was that something that you guys just made an assumption on or did you get uh, feedback or? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little, it's a little bit of an assumption and, and, and it was actually a, it's sort of nuanced. There's kind of a fine line there because we like, like most technology crowdfunding projects, the people that are going to support it, at least the early ones that support it are probably early adopters who do care about the tech side of things. Right. Mm, Yeah. That's what I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, we recognize that, um, I mean, listen, the, the people that care about technology, they're still people <laughs> and they and they care about things that aren't technology also. So the fact that we are building a technologically advanced product, unless we completely sort of eclipse that, you know, we just, I guess, had the assumption or, or uh, belief that it was still, it was going to resonate with those that were looking for hot new technology. But to sort of go beyond that scope, which, you know, it's, it's hard to know exactly, um, how many of our backers are fit the category of just the early adopter and how many sort of start to get outside of that bubble. But I like to think that we kind of broke outside of, of simply early adopters. <laughs> I think we broke outside of it a little bit with our, with our backer base because we didn't just focus on the technology. 
you know what I mean? So there's a little bit of the, I don't know, trying to, trying to appeal to both, to both audiences, if that makes sense. But I guess just recognizing that even the people that were going to get excited about tech would also get excited about something that just would fit seamlessly into their life that just fills it, fills a need that they have. So yeah, we kind of made the assumption that it would be better from a brand perspective and from a, um, you know, reach perspective to focus more on a story that, you know, is more universal rather than just a technology focused one. Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is there's never been a better time to build an e-commerce business. And the best part is you don't have to do it alone. And that's where Founder Plus comes in, which I'm really excited to share with you. If you're feeling stuck in your e-commerce business, lacking confidence to move forward, or really worrying about making costly mistakes, Founder Plus is here to support you. You get access to a customized learning pathway with proven frameworks from successful e-commerce founders for fast results, a supportive community, weekly live mentorship, exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash founder plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now I'll jump back in the show. Let's switch gears and talk around tactics. Sure. You mentioned your sales copy. Was there anything strategies or tactics that you could recommend around the sales copy for your Indiegogo or Kickstarter, whatever landing page it is? Well, the first thing I'd recommend that, and this actually applies even more broadly than just about the copy, which is to be honest with yourself about what your strengths are and and then what thing, be honest with yourself about the areas that you're strong in and the areas that you could use help in. So if copy is a strength of yours, if writing is a strength, then you should write the copy. You should, you know, circle it around, get feedback from as many people as possible. And I'll, I'll go into that. We can talk more detail about the copy um, in a minute. But, but also be honest. Like if you're if you're not great at writing, then consider hiring a copywriter or consider hiring a brand strategist. You know, bring on bring on freelancers or, or you know, spend money to hire people that that complement your strengths. I think it's just like a it's a more broad you know answer to your question, but. But I think that a lot of a lot of times with crowdfunding campaigns, like you know, usually you're doing it because you might be strapped for cash, or you want to, you know, you're trying to raise money, and so you might feel like you know you need to bootstrap everything and do it all yourself completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, our approach was to we try to be really honest with ourselves that hey, here's things that we feel confident doing ourselves, and here's things that we could really you know use some outside help on. So we you know we hired people to help us with on the PR side. We hired someone to help us make the video for us. And then on the on the copy and the and the brand strategy side, that's something that we we do have internal strength in. Like I, that's one of the things that I do. But I also needed, you know, we wanted some external opinions and help on that as well. So we did bring in like a marketing, a brand strategy marketing person to help us. She spent a few days with us and helped us um, kind of craft the story in a way that, well, I don't know. I guess I would just say that she helped us pull out the ideas that we had in a way that felt concise and and would resonate with people. Yeah, no, that's um that's actually something that keeps coming up quite a lot is you you see, I don't know, there's this some this I guess from my perspective there's this assumption that uh yeah, when you do a Kickstarter or Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign, it's just like a small little team and you've done it all yourself and and you you hustle and and do everything yourself, but the more and more things that I 
keep seeing coming up is, is yeah, a lot of people, like the successful people that I'm talking to and the teams and the companies is, yeah, they're, they're getting outside help. Um, yeah. they're, they're getting PR people involved. They're getting brand strategists involved and, and they have decent sized teams. Yeah, I think you kind of have to do that. I think, I mean, I, I, you don't have to, but if you don't, it, it shows, you know, if it, there's either in your video, it either is going to show up in your video. It's going to show in your, in your messaging. It's going to show in your imagery. It's going to show in the way that you are responding to people. I think unless you're just an amazing unicorn, jack of all trades, there's probably going to be some areas that, that you could use some, some external help with either that, or if you happen to have built up your team and you're already a, you know, a big company or organization, there's probably going to be areas that that outside help could really benefit. So, mm, okay. Well, um, I'm curious around tactics and strategies for driving traffic, growing awareness around your campaign. Sure. Um, we've mentioned that you guys, yeah, you guys have smashed your target. So, let's. Can you give us some really good gold in in regards to how others can just yeah absolutely smash it? Yeah, sure. So I would say the first thing is you want to have a lot of stuff set up prior to when you actually, you know, hit the button to to make your page live. <laughs> so, you know, don't wait until the last minute to start planning out, you know, the the first day. The first day is really the most you'll hear this probably from everyone you talk to, which is the first day and the first hours of when your campaign goes live is really the most important part probably of the whole the whole month or however long your campaign is. So for the one thing I, I mentioned that we we did hire a PR firm that helped us, um, and some tactical things that they did was they align they arranged for interviews with you know um, select press to happen you know prior to when the campaign was going to go live. So you know the the couple weeks before the campaign launching, we did some interviews so that articles were lined up to um, actually go live on the day that we um, launched our campaign. So that's really important. And that's, you know, this was sort of the strategy and the tactics that we learned from working with a PR agency. We probably wouldn't have, you know, known how to do all this ourselves. So, mm-hmm. so we had some articles lined up that were, you know, and there wasn't a lot. We had hundreds of articles written about us. And obviously we didn't line all those up, but you want to line up a few. We had a few that were set to go up that day. And then immediately, you know, if those go up and if they get some traction, then uh, other articles, other press will start picking up on those and then writing new ones. But if you don't have any setup, I think you're um, you're going to lose out on having that initial traction. We also, through our own personal networks, um, we were, I guess, sort of unashamed to to a- ask anyone and everyone we knew to just be ready to support us right when we launched. And that's kind of, I guess, crowdfunding one on one. But you know, I think I emailed probably like 600 people through my email contacts, people I haven't even talked to in years, <laughs> and just said, "Hey, remember me." <laughs> No, but we, so we, you know, we reached out to like everybody we knew and we said, and we asked them to, we let them know what we were doing. Oh, I guess give you, getting even more tactical here. When we emailed friends and contacts saying that this campaign was launching, it wasn't just a, you know, quick two sentence note. It was, we, we actually typed out and we worked on this together. We like edited, re-edited, made sure we had a draft that we really liked, but we typed out an email that explained clearly what the campaign was, why we were doing it. And then specifically, like, here's how you can help. And we gave them, we asked them to visit. Actually, actually, I'm trying to remember. What we did is we sent out an email telling them that this was going to go live on a certain day. And then we also said, like, if you want, we'll send you a reminder. Like, day. Of. Actually, I don't think we asked them. We just said, we'll send you a reminder day of. 
So we sent out that email like a couple days ahead of time, letting them know this campaign's going to go live on Monday. Here's what you can do. You can go to the go to the page. You can support it. You can send this block of copy to friends of yours. And then we gave like we wrote some text that they, that was easily easy for them to share. So like if you want to tell your friends about it, here's what you can say. Basically, you want to like remove roadblocks from having other people share it and make it as easy as possible. So we did that, and then we um, and then some of our closest friends, we asked them to kind of do the same thing we were doing, which was, are are there people you know that you know we don't know that you can ask them ahead of time to be one of our you know to be early backers and to support early. So basically, we wanted to have you know as many people set up like and not just invited but actually committed, saying like. Yes, I love what you guys are doing. I'll definitely support it on the first day. And, you know, we we had a lot of people that were already knew we'd been working on this for the past year and they were excited about it. They knew we were going to get ready to launch a campaign. So we just gave them the instructions and then luckily, you know, a lot of those people followed through on what they said and they, you know, first day they went and supported they backed it right away and then they shared it with people. I wish I had numbers around that. I'm really curious like I don't know how many of those, you know, early early backers on the, the morning when we launched were people that we'd committed and how many were then just a organic results. Mm. I'm sure the ones we committed were, you know, weren't that many, maybe a, a couple hundred people, maybe tops that like promised like, yeah, I'll definitely back it on the first day. But I think just the fact that we'd get, gotten the word out so much, you know, allowed it to, it didn't start the day we launched it. It actually, people were already ready to back the campaign and excited about it prior to when we launched. Yeah, okay, I see. And um, just to touch on that, how many, so you had around six in your team at that time, so there was yeah. around six people writing personal emails to to contacts, friends, family, anyone in, in your personal networks. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, it's it's going to be a really difficult uphill battle if you're saying I'm going to write like a very individual personal email to everybody I know. Mm. So, you know, we wrote some boilerplate, you know, copy that just explained here's what the project is. Here's what we're asking you to do. And then the personalization of those emails was very much like, hey, Dave, we, you know, we wrote up this, some notes below about what we're, what we're doing next week. Uh, wanted to share it with you. You know what I mean? So it was less like, it wasn't like we had to every time open up a blank email and write an email. The, the whole point with this stuff is if, you're wanna, if you want it to be, you know, you want it, everything you do in, in planning and executing your campaign, you want it to be scalable because that's the whole point is you want this to reach as many people as possible. So I would just like encourage people to, you know, try to do things that can be reused when you're spreading the word, you know? And did you guys have uh, virtual assistants or anybody just going out um, and you've, yep. you've got like a spreadsheet or something with all specific names and email addresses where, that you need to send the follow-ups to and if you've sent them or not or you just, just hacked away at it? I think that you just uh, gave me a good answer for that first question. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest mistake, we didn't get virtual assistants. <laughs> No, we didn't. Actually, we didn't do that at all. We, um, we, you know, we put processes in place ourselves to just try to be organized about it. But I had, you know, I had a lot of Evernote, you know, tabs open, and we had some Excel spreadsheets, and we just had a. Um, I think we just had kind of our each each had our own individual process of of going through that uh, and trying to reach out to everybody. I know I had a lot of lists of people that and people that I wanted to reach out to, and and um, and then I kind of kept tallies of of which friends or family of mine had agreed to, to order and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But we weren't, I mean, we probably weren't nearly as scientific about it as we could have been. <laughs> so. Okay. And, and then, sorry, yeah. go on. Oh, I was just gonna say one other thing in, in regards to the, 
you know, trying to have it build traction right away and, and get people to share it is um, we had like on our website, we had um, like an, and I think we got this, I can't remember where we got this idea from. Obviously we'd done a lot of research looking at other campaigns, but on our website, we sort of briefly, briefly, our website was like a one pager that just explained, here's what the product is, you know, pre-order on Indiegogo. And, and then at the, on the, at the bottom of that site, we had sort of like three steps, like three things you can do to help support the campaign. And it was, um, and it was like tweet, uh, tweet about it, you know, share it on Facebook and, and watch the video. So, and then watching the video one took you to the, took you to the Indiegogo campaign. So that was just another example of like trying to really break it down, like really obvious. I know this is pretty one-on-one, but it's like, you know, very, very obvious and easy ways for people to either help you get the word out or support the campaign with minimal amount of effort on their part. Okay. And I'm curious also when you talked about teeing up interviews and stuff like that, you got the PR company to handle that. You had a PR company handle that. So were you guys pitching the venture beats and the fast companies beforehand or on or during the campaign? I think it was both. Definitely um, some of them beforehand. And Again, like I said, like th- since this was in our, like it's definitely not my strength, so I don't have experience with, you know, doing PR work. So we sort of um, worked with our PR team, but they took the lead a lot saying, and they have relationships with these news outlets and, and the venture beats and the fast companies. And, and they kind of know, like, if we reach out to this person now, they're likely to meet with you. Or if we reach out to this person now, they'll probably say no. But if we reach out to them, two days into the campaign when it's going well, then they'll definitely say yes. So mm. we, we kind of took the PR, our PR team's lead in a lot, with a lot of this and or took their recommendations as far as like there's certain, certain reporters or, or um, journalists that if you, the ones that we anticipated would be willing to meet and excited and, and write positive things ahead of time and then others that it would be better to kind of wait and, and they jump on board after, which is something that I would not, we would not at all have known yeah. If we were going about it ourselves, because we would have just been, you know, cold calling people and probably, you know, it's a lot away. harder to do it that way. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep moving. Sure. So you had a big focus on your first day. What what happened next? I mean, the first day was more was more planned, meaning we had stuff set up that was like, hey, we know these th- these articles are going to go live, or we hope these articles are going to go live. And we you know, we have these people that have agreed to do it. And then from there, it just became totally you know, it became more organic. So people were sharing it, the people backing it weren't people we knew. I mean, that happened pretty quickly on the first day. Um, it kind of went from the people we'd asked to do it and then quickly turned into, you know, extended beyond our circles. And at that point, it was really, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, our full-time job for the next 30 days was answering people's questions and, you know, responding to people right away. We did that both digitally and even we did some, I guess, non-scalable, uh, more human tactics, which was um, we actually wrote like handwritten notes to people that were, you know, that backed our campaign, that were the big, those that were like sharing it a lot or those that were oh, wow. our earliest backers. It wasn't scalable. It was hard to do. We didn't write nearly as many as we wanted to. But, you know, we, we, we wrote handwritten notes. We sent stickers to people. We, I guess we just felt so like not only excited, but just like really thankful and like, I don't know, I just felt like we felt touched in a lot of ways by the mm. people that were willing to back this and then and then tell people about it and, and just be like they quickly, so many people quickly turned into 
I guess they turned into fans, but I also felt like they turned into friends. Like people right away were just having conversations with us on social media. And, and so I think so much of, of the continued organic success over that month long time period was because we, we actually, you know, developed some great, like real relationships with our early backers. And, and that happened on social media. It also happened. Some of it happened via email it happened on the comment threads, on the discussion board, on the Indiegogo page itself. Mm. And we were just having, it was so fun too. It was like, you know, we had our iOS developer and then I'm a designer and, and my co-founders, you know, none of us are, we don't do this. We don't like social, we don't do a lot of social media in our day-to-day, you know, work. And so mm. this was just a great experience where we're like realizing, wow, this is so cool. These people are joining us on this kind of journey and, and, and we're we're talking to so many of them and kind of building these relationships and and um, in my opinion, so much of what happened over the next month and the continued you know growth and success of the campaign was a result of becoming you know friends and developing relationships with with as many as many people as was possible that back to the campaign because then they went out and they wanted to tell more people about it and we had so many people that came to it and they were like, Hey, I, you know, my friend told me about this, or I heard about this on, on this blog. And we just had a lot of bloggers writing about it. And it was, it was like the epitome of, you know, viral sort of organic internet awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, this is really good. So I'm curious what on the first day, what percentage of your target did you hit? We hit our goal before lunchtime on the first day. Oh, wow. So, yeah, if I remember correctly, we had like a $100,000 goal and we hit that before lunchtime. And we were like, wow, this is going well. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, and then I think we I think we maybe hit like, um, I think we raised like 300000 by the end of the first day. Wow. Jeez. So a lot of it was, was the planning beforehand and you think, you think how much of it, I'm just curious, um, just to touch on this, how much sure. of it do you think it was your personal contacts and your personal network and that and that hacking and hustling you guys did beforehand? You're not sure. Yeah, I I have no idea. Honestly, Nathan, I have no idea. But I think it was it was that initial. You know, it definitely wasn't a big percentage of that. It was it was maybe the initial few hundred people that backed it, mm. if that. But definitely, I mean, I I would owe much of the success of the first day to the fact that we had. I think the, I mean, I, I, we can't, you can't underestimate the press. I would owe much of the success to the fact that we had articles lined up, ready to go out because, you know, that's how you're going to have the biggest, the biggest reach, especially with Indiegogo. I know it's different on, on Kickstarter because on, on Kickstarter, uh, you, they actually, you know, if the staff likes it, they do like staff picks and they, they feature campaigns that they like. Um, but on Indiegogo, it's very much, it's all algorithmic. So Mm. like you're not going to get featured and get an extra bump from Indiegogo just because um because you like know someone there or like you or because they like your project you actually have to it actually has to do well um before for it to get featured I, I think if we hadn't kind of hit the press right away and like or I guess hit more people it, it, you know gotten in front of more people due to uh articles then it wouldn't have you know our, our start wouldn't have been as strong I, I mean I'm sure our campaign still would have been successful eventually but it just would have been slower and um, probably wouldn't have as much impact if we hadn't done some sort of PR prep work ahead of time. Oh, I see. And you talked about platforms. Let's just quickly touch on the platform piece. How did, why did you guys choose Indiegogo over Kickstarter? 
I mean, they're both great. Honestly, they're both great platforms, and it's 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 uh, it's hard to know like which one for depending on you know what you're doing. Probably either platform could work, and and um, I mean, honestly, I love both of them. Um, for us, Indiegogo felt a little bit more flexible. It felt more like they give you uh, a platform. And actually, I mean, I don't want to. I, I definitely wouldn't want anything I say to come across like negative towards Kickstarter because I, I love mm. Kickstarter also. But we, you know, Indiegogo felt right for us because it, it just has flexibility. Um, it allows you to kind of sort of do what you want with your campaign. Like you can, you know, sell multiple units of a pro- of your product as a as a perk. You can have like a single perk that has mul- multiple units um, as part of the perk. I, and maybe Kickstarter does that now. I know, but at at the time, that seemed like unique to Indiegogo. And it just it just felt very much more. There felt like less rules on Indiegogo. Just like, hey, here's the platform, and then you can kind of do what you want with it. So we like the flexibility of um, just being able to kind of get access to it and then you know craft it however we wanted to. And then, although this wasn't necessarily one of the deciding factors, we found working with Kickstarter or with Indiegogo to be really fantastic. There's there's uh, a few key people there that kind of worked on our campaign with us and, and helped us, you know, as we were, as we were crafting the strategy around it, the, there was people at Indiegogo that were just really willing to kind of give us advice. And then once it was going, especially, I guess, cause it was being successful, like they were definitely helpful and like helping us manage it and answer wow. questions. And, and then since that time they've been, um, I don't know, we have a good relationship with Indiegogo. They're just really, that's, I mean, I think what they're doing is amazing and they're, they have a great team and it's been cool to kind of work with them as they've, as they helped us and then we've been able to help them in, in various ways as far as they reach out to us sometimes and we talk about our campaign with them. And so it was a good relationship to build and, and they were, it was a great, great platform. Mm, okay. I see. Um, let's go back to the tactics. Do you have any more tips that you would recommend for people looking to run a successful campaign around marketing, PR? I know we're touching a lot, but I really want to make sure we delve really deep and get it all from you because, you yeah. know, that's unbelievable. The first day, uh, by the end of the first day, you hit three hundred percent, and then it just kept rolling through. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned a little bit at the beginning about the the video. Developing a really compelling video is one of the most important factors for a successful campaign because so many people like you know if so many people will start by watching the video. So if you if you get there and the video is either not high quality enough or feels too cheesy or you know is it is you know it's not exciting enough then a lot of people won't bother to read the read the rest of the content on the page so the way that you know most of these crowdfunding platforms are set up they really the video is the hero so i think you really have to treat it as that when you're when you're creating the content for the campaign and if you don't do anything else right you should probably you should make a compelling video <laughs> <laughs> so you know when we did that we of course, we watched a lot of other videos, both crowdfunding videos as well as commercials that we liked, and we, you know, analyzed kind of what what we liked about them, what we felt like was compelling, what was engaging, what the pacing was. I even went through and transcribed some of the ones that I thought were the most effective. I actually went through and transcribed. This is a good. This was a good exercise for me, at least. I transcribed, like I wrote out the script of other crowdfunding videos, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to see, as, you, as you're writing the script for your video, sometimes it's hard to know, like, well, how is this going to play out? Like, how long is this? Like, when we're actually saying this in front of the camera, will it be too wordy? Will it, will it come across weird? Like, should, we, should one person be talking the, time, the whole time or should we switch between people? So I actually wrote out, you know, what some of the other videos that I thought were 
you know, compelling the way they did it. And, and that was a good exercise for me to sort of analyze, you know, the ones that I liked, this is, this is how the pacing went, you know, and then that helped us to compare the script that we'd written to, you know, other scripts that I thought were successful. And, you know, I found that like a lot of our early drafts, our script for our video was way too long. We tried to like say way too many things in it. So, you know, we edited the script down, made it more concise. And then we, like I said, we hired a, a professional director to shoot our video for us and we spent money on it. And it was, it was definitely worth the money because it, you know, ended up being such a, I mean, we, we still actually, we're still using that video. We've used it most of this year as our product video because it turned out to be a really great, you know, a really great asset in, in telling a story. So um, definitely that's a long winded way to say, make a great video. <laughs> Super important. <laughs> you know, that, the, no, you, you, you really explained that really well. Um, if there's anything else, like, yeah, please keep going deep. Um, I'm mindful of your time, but, you know, I'm really appreciative that you're really going deep into these tactics and strategies. So was there anything else that you would like to share with us, John? That kind of covers it. There's not, I wish that there was other, some other like silver bullets or, or like great ideas that would be, that wouldn't sound, um, you know, a cliche, but it was kind of, that was kind of it. It's like make a great video, work with a PR team if you don't have that define your goals ahead of time. So you, um, so your team is aligned on like what your story is and, and yeah. Oh, I guess another thing I hadn't mentioned, I haven't mentioned yet is you need to put a lot of thought into how you're going to answer questions because I mentioned this a little bit so much of, you know, the, the continued success of the campaign past the first day, you know, over the next month was based on the fact that we were answering people's questions. Like a lot of the people on the first day, they'll back it because, they find it right away. They want to be one of the early backers. Maybe you know them. So the first day, the people that backed it, they didn't need as much, um, maybe as much handholding around it. Um, but then as the campaign went on, you had a lot of people that, you know, and I, this is where it gets to what I was mentioning earlier on the early adopters versus like kind of expanding beyond that early adopter circle. Like a lot of the early adopters that are that back other campaigns, they'll just back it because, hey, I discovered this thing. It looks really cool. I'm gonna, we're, I'm gonna sign up and. It's I'm on board no matter what. But then as you sort of expand beyond that circle, you have people that they want to understand more about it. They want to, they want answers to things that aren't necessarily covered on the page. They want to know that like you're real and this is something, you know, a lot of our people that backed it, the campaign were new to crowdfunding. They never backed anything before. And so people would ask us questions around things that had we not been ready to answer their questions, had we not been quick to respond to them, they probably wouldn't have backed the campaign. And we also, and there's no way we would have been able to answer all the questions if we were coming up with the answers as they were coming in. So prior to launching the campaign, we had written out, brainstormed, what are all the possible things that people might ask us about this? And then we, you know, did as, as good as we could to go through and, and write out answers to everything so that when people started coming at us with questions, we weren't like, oh, great, what do we say to this? It was, it was like, mm. oh, cool, we, we already know the answer to that. We're all on the same page. Um, this is how we're going to address this. This is the technical answer to this. This is the plan for this feature. So it was very much like think ahead to what people are going to ask so that you're not like scrambling and then, and then, you know, not responding to people because you have too many requests coming in. So that was super uh, key. And I think we did good at that. I think we could have done even better because, you know, there's a lot of influx of, of questions that come in that you might not be um, able to handle if you haven't prepped ahead of time. 
I'm curious, did you guys run any competitions? I know I know that you can now do competitions or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Um it's funny, this has been like a year ago now, so I forgot some of these things. Um <laughs> okay. we we actually, yeah, we did run Indiegogo. Was it through Indiegogo? I can't remember if Indiegogo had a had a thing for this. We yeah, we did they a comp- do. they they do now. I don't know if they did a year ago. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was it was it was actually I think they did have a thing, but it was a little bit hacky. It wasn't really it wasn't very easy as far as like the process, but we did run a competition that was just we asked people to we asked people to, you know, to spread the word and then we each each day we did this like the last, I think, two weeks of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um where like each day, whoever had the highest, uh, whoever had referred the most people that came and supported the, the the project, I think they won a free like another canary, another device. So that was a lot. Of, I mean, it was a lot of fun also, just because it got you know competitions are really fun and it's it's cool to like get people trying really hard to to win and then people are so excited when they actually were like, hey, you won a canary, and mm. and people are so excited about it. So that was a lot of fun. I I don't think that necessarily. Well, yeah, I mean that probably did that probably was significant in, in our in the amount of amount of orders yeah i mean it's hard to know i you de- there's definitely a lull like you're the beginning of a campaign is usually you know the biggest and then you kind of kind of drops down you have this little if you plot it out you know you have this little trough of, of the middle of the campaign when you know it's it's not the it's not a brand new thing that just launched and it's not um and it's not about to end but it's just kind of like happening so you have a little bit of a lull kind of a couple weeks in the middle and then, as it gets close to ending, you you get a, another spike a little bit. So, they, I think the competition helped to remind people, like, "Hey, this is going to end soon." Tell your friends, and yeah. Well, look, you've been awesome, John. Um, we've, we've got a lot from this, especially around deep dive tactics and really understanding some of the processes that you guys were going through beforehand. Oh, good. Okay, cool. I hope that was helpful. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.